All right, well, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are continuing our study in Jude this morning, but as I shared last week, it is our springboard from which we are going into some uh, topics in a detailed fashion. And we are really studying a single word in uh, the first verse of Jude, and that word is called. You are called. You are called. And so we're in another corollary passage this morning. We'll be in several of this today, actually. And so we're going to begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. Verse 18 through verse 31. And as is my custom, I'm reading out the New King James Version this morning with one uh, change. And you'll notice it when I get to it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For when you were called, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things that are, which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ, Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In introducing the letter of Jude, we first start with the recipients of the letter. And the recipients of the letter were to those who are called. Last week we began the study of that word called, and we went into Matthew. If you were not here, uh, today is going to be a struggle if you weren't here last week to understand maybe a little bit. So I'm going to review it real quick, just to make sure that we have a good handle on what the Bible refers to as called. This is the word haleo in Greek, and it refers to an invitation. You are the invited ones. The invited guests are the way Christ used it in Matthew that we looked at last week. And what we found is that there was a guest list that Christ talked about that was sent out. And they were the original recipients of the invitation. And they represented Israel. That's what Christ was talking about. And they ignored it, the invitation. They then became belligerent towards it to the point of belittling it 
and finally were violently against it to the point of killing the ones that were sent by the king to invite them. In response, the king in that parable raised up an army to destroy them for not wanting to participate in his child and his son's wedding feast. And then he sent out his servants to call everyone they could, as many as you could find. And they were gathered in, and we found that it was the difference between these two was not the calling of God, but the response to the calling of which ones were going to be at the feast and which ones were not. But that just any old positive response to the invitation of God isn't really enough. It's not enough just to say, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I go to church. That's really not what the Bible describes as a faith choice. It is a positive response, but it's not going to... You may believe that you are... You may even be in the very room of the peace, but that doesn't mean that you are chosen to participate in it. And the king approaches one that says that was not dressed in the garments of a royal wedding. That is, they didn't come dressed properly. And in that parable in Matthew, we find that the king says, throw this person into outer darkness. You don't come to the wedding feast of the king in the rags of your wife. And so you can hear the calling of God, have a positive response to it, and say, oh, it's wonderful that Jesus loves me, that he died for me, and my sins can be forgiven. Um, yeah, I believe he did all that, and I'm going to go to church uh, to celebrate his birth. I'm going to go to church to celebrate his resurrection. Uh, I may even go to church more than that, and I believe that. But there's a big difference between that and draping ourselves, clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ of making him ours, making us his, of surrendering our heart, our life to him, that he now possesses us. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my deliverer. To him I owe everything, and I will serve him with the entirety of my life. When that occurs, when you have clothed yourself properly, having responded to the call, not just in some positive way, but in the positive way, the only positive way that gets you a table at the banquet, a seat at the table, there we go, get you a seat at the table of the banquet, is to clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. And we say, oh Lord, what you did, I don't just believe you did it, but I want it for myself. I want you to envelop me with your righteousness purify me, and I will serve you as my king, as my savior, my lord, my master, my friend, my groom. And this, you see, is the full understanding on a very basic level what the Bible means by call. You are the call. And we do not hold to the Calvinistic model that says that the call of God has to be obeyed in a very positive way. 
They call about the irresistibility of the work of God, that once he has chosen to save you, as soon as he calls you, you have to respond in, a, in the positive way and accept. But in Christ's parable, it's very obvious that that is not the case. That many are called, but few are chosen. Unless you think the chosen facet is also God's aspect, we're going to look at that a little bit more probably next week. I doubt I'll get to it today. And so we look at the calledness that from this side of salvation, that once we've received it fully and we have clothed ourselves in the righteousness of Christ, it's appropriate that Jude calls us and describes the recipients of the letter as called. For indeed, we were called. We were invited in. You're not crashing the party. And remember, many Jews in the time of the early church considered all these Gentiles as party crashers. What are you doing coming in here? You haven't been circumcised. You haven't kept the law. What do you think you're... You don't have a right to be here. But yes, they did. And this is going to come into play extensively this morning when we get into Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 1. They did have a right to be there because they were invited. We are called. In fact, all men are invited into the kingdom of God through the powerful working of Jesus Christ. The question isn't whether or not really you were invited. That was an issue for the Jews. But for us, in our perspective, um, it was how did you respond? Did you accept the invitation or reject it? Israel, as a people, rejected it. That doesn't mean individual Israelites couldn't be in the kingdom of God, don't have a seat at the table, for many did. In fact, the early church was pretty much full of them, of Jews that received Christ as their Messiah. But as a people, as a unit, they had rejected it, and God therefore scorned them and turned, and we're going to see that being the, the foundation there in Romans as well, but Paul's going to reference it extensively in Romans 8, 9, and, and going even into 10 a little bit. And so we find that the idea of an invitation there in Matthew uh, 22, as well as in Matthew 20, many are called, few are chosen. So we hearing the calling of God, the invitation of God to come follow me, and even having somewhat of a positive response, well, that sounds like a good offer. I'll try it. I've had people do that. Oh, I'll try that. It's like, okay. Um, it's not something you try. Remember how many were following Jesus? The multitudes followed Jesus, and then they came across a hard teaching, and you're like, uh, and it says that many that day turned away from following Jesus. They couldn't tolerate that idea when he tells them, unless you eat of this flesh and drink of this blood, you have no part of me. And they couldn't get to the spiritual level. They said, well, that's kind of bizarre. You want to become a cannibal? You know, they just couldn't get out of this world into the spiritual realm with him. And they still maintained their earthliness. And they could not conceive that this is the Son of God who is calling you to partake of his righteousness, of his sacrifice, that he would do it on behalf of them. And you can't go to God on your own merits. You're not good enough for heaven. No one is. No one can be. And so you must reclothe yourselves in the righteousness of Christ. And Paul talks about that, that we shed these worthless rags where we put on garments of immortality. Take off the mortal and put on the immortal. And we do that 
by that faith response <coughs> to his calling. But the calling is for everyone. Those who responded to that invitation, certainly when, when Jude talks to it, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this to the call. You who are called in Christ Jesus, that is, you are invited into the family. We have this invitation that Christ has broken down the barriers and allowed you to be invited into the very family of God, and therefore it is a precious thing we still use. We are the call. Is that an exclusive club? It, it's exclusive to the extent that on this side of that, on the, on the same side of it, it's exclusive because we are recognizing that we had to have an invite. We are not party crashers. God invited us. We are the invited guests. And we know that we have no right to be invited because we had nothing but rags on our bodies. We had no way to qualify for that feast of the, the wedding feast of the sun. And therefore, referencing us as the invited is a very precious designation. We didn't uh, elbow our way in. We didn't get in through a window and stealthily get in. You know, you can't sneak into the kingdom of God. You have to be invited. And so this gives us a wonderful balanced word against those who would want to go in on their own merits, on their own religious activity. Um, it tells us that, no, you have to be invited. You hold yourself with the righteousness of Christ. And then, and it also gives us balance, a, a, a wonderful balanced word against those who say that God is only inviting the ones who he has already decided from eternity past before he created anything, which ones he would say before he wouldn't. That is evil. It's one of the purest forms of doctrinal evil that is out there. It puts it all upon God that why didn't he call us all if his calling is irresistible? And it's all his fault for anyone going to hell. And they can do linguistic gymnastics to try to uh, say that isn't true, but that's all it is. It's just fakery. But the fact is that you can't call him a God of love who could save everyone and chooses not to when his calling is irresistible. But it's not. Christ makes it very clear. You will not override the will of man. He invites. You are called. You are invited in. And that is precious but it is balanced, and it is that balance I wanted to strike last week, and I hope you still recall it, um, that there is that necessary, necessary balance, that we have a precious condition, that we've actually been invited to the party. And that is something to enjoy. It is precious. And so when Jude says, I'm writing this to you who are called in Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ, you've been invited to the party, to the celebration, to the feast. You didn't, you didn't sneak in. You aren't crashing it. You, it, it. There's no one that doesn't belong. You belong because you were invited. You belong to Christ. He invited you in. You can't force yourself on him. He must, he must invite you. And praise God he has.
Now, I want to take this, I have one little illustration that I didn't use last week that I don't want to use this week to help summarize last week for all of you before we go on. I want you to think about the invitations that we sometimes send out for weddings today. And whenever there's a limited amount of seats at the table, which I'm not saying that's the case in God's table, uh, it certainly isn't, but when we have a limited venue, uh, normally we send out an invitation and say, you are invited plus one, one guest. Right, and what does that tell you? You can't bring your whole family. You can't drag them all in, right? And that's the kind of invitation that God had offered the world before Christ. He had sent this invitation to Israel. You are invited plus your guests. I said, what does that mean, Pastor? What that means is that if you wanted to gain access to the kingdom of heaven and you were a Gentile, you had to go through Israel. You had to join Israel as an act of faith. You had to be so what happened when Rahab wanted to be, she became the guest. The Egyptians who came out of the thing, they were like that. They were invited, but kind of indirectly, they had to come into Israel, into the kingdom. And that was a statement of faith. That was a trust, a, a declaration of, I'm going to follow after the God of Israel. And we have many examples of that in the Old Testament of these that came in. I am going to go after the God of you ever notice that? What does Nebuchadnezzar say? The God of Daniel is the God. What does Pharaoh say? The God of Joseph. What are they saying? I'm going to attach myself to their invitation as the guest. The God of Joseph is the Lord. The God of Daniel is the God. Follow the God of Daniel. You know, Daniel had this invitation card that says Daniel plus 3,000 guests or something. I don't know how many guests God allowed him to bring in through his, his ministry in Babylon and, and Media Persia. Oh, we have, but he, it was Daniel plus guests. When we get to the New Testament, that's radically transformed. Now you are the call of Jesus. He has sent you a direct invitation. It isn't, I'm the guest of, you know, well, I'm the in-law or whatever that you knew them, but you don't know me and I'm the guest of, but I am, my name is on the invitation. God has invited everyone. It's not one of the ancient parish, but it's all repentance. He has put your name and the name of every person on the invitation. That's the difference between the Old Testament calling, invite, and this new calling. And it was so radically different that the authors of Scripture, when they wrote to people, said, you are the invited. Your name is on the invitation. You belong there. That's how precious this word is. And that's why we keep finding it popping up. And we have seeing people manipulate this word into something precious, into something confining. They've taken a word that, that opens heaven to everybody and said, no, that's only referring to the people that God is choosing to save. And it's not for everyone. And they've destroyed 
it's very preciousness of why Jude would use it as the first description of the recipients of his letter. You are called. To you who are called. Not in the law, not by birth, you are called in Christ Jesus. Your name's on the invite. You belong in the family of God. Now, while everyone has gotten that personal invitation, that is, that all men everywhere can be saved, we know from the Matthew passage we studied last week that that still requires something else, that you can reject that invitation, you can ignore it, you can despise it, you can even be violently opposed to it, or you could improperly have a positive response to it, or you can embrace it. And only those that embrace it will be members of the kingdom of God. Not those who just, oh yeah, I believe that was good stuff. And yeah, I think church is good and Jesus is a good guy. And, and yeah, he died for us and all that. But you haven't made it yours. Transform your life. Then you're going to be like that person that's thrown into outer darkness. And if you don't think there's very many of those, you need to read what Jesus wrote, said earlier. He says, many will come to me on that day, the day of judgment, and say, Lord, Lord, look what we did in your name. We did this, we did that, we did that. And they had a pretty remarkable list. And Christ says, I don't know who you are. You're wearing the wrong clothes. You're still wearing the rags of your old life. You've not been reborn in Christ. So you're not a monk. So this is the word calling. And we understand it best, I believe, from Christ's introduction of the idea of this invitation coming, transferring from a Israel plus guest to her plus link. Put your name in there. I put my name in there. But put your name in there. Is invited. That's the difference. And so, yes, it was powerfully important to everyone. Because they were saying, you're not just a, kind of slipped in there to the guest. You are personally now invited in Christ. Now let's get to our text this morning. What person is the Lord? Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We marvel at your call. And we thank you so much for the extent of the powerful work of Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection that is available to all who would believe. We thank you that you invite us. Not as someone that you didn't know, but as someone intimately known to you. Not this, that we can be one of a few that slip in, but that we can be among those that belong. And Lord, as those ones, help us now to understand your word in its fullness of this work and its preciousness. And Lord, Guards from those that would mean it, make it mean things it doesn't, to destroy the joy and the fullness of what it really communicates. In Christ Jesus' name. First Corinthians chapter one. That was our Bible reading this morning, and we're going to go there. And we hopefully, as we read that, you saw how often it talked about the call, the call, the call, the call, the call, the call the calling, calling, calling. 
So it's pretty obvious that this is going to have a lot to do with this concept of being called. So as we go through this, I want to uh, understand uh, that we are not here ever referring to the fact that this calling is singularly only for those who Christ has died for in a limited way at all. And in fact, we're going to find out that that's really the wisdom of man. The concepts of men are there, but the wisdom of God is very different. And again, this drove me into Matthew, that if we want to have a clear understanding of, of these terms, we look at where Christ introduced it and how he very simply explained it. And it is clearly not what so many in Christendom um, are teaching about it. So here we go. We come into this description, and uh, the wisdom of God is going to come into play, not only here, but in Romans as well. It says, The message of the cross, in verse 18, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And yes, salvation is a process. If you think it is a one-time prayer, you are mistaken. It is a commitment of life, and it is a process, and we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to the other words that Jude uses to refer to as recipients. Uh, but it is a process, and we are being saved. And uh, we want to jump down now, and I want to pick up, really, uh, in verse 24, Now, let's back up. Let's do verse 21. I want, I want to touch just something very quickly on verse 21. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who are called. Right? He's only going to save the people he calls. So those who God chooses. Those who believe. And I want to point that out, that in every passage, you're going to find a response required. A response required. And while we want to jump to verse 24, verse 21 says, well, the wisdom of God is that it's going to be preached to everyone, and the salvation is going to go to those who believe. The invitation goes out universally. The benefits are experienced in a limited fashion, not by the limitation of God, but the limitation of man, of choosing to believe, to trust in, to envelop it, to embrace it, to make it his own. <laughs> and so Paul is already conditioned. It says it is to save those who believe. If you think that your action of accepting the gift is not a requirement, you just got to wait for God to lay it on you, and that you can't say no, for example, you can't say no to literally, um, in the Calvinistic model, you negate these kinds of declarations and scriptures as if you believe. Can I be baptized? Well, if you believe with all your heart. I'm pretty sure that's what they told the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's water. What keeps you from being baptized? Well, you can if you believe. The condition isn't the water. The condition isn't God's calling. Uh, the condition is, do you believe? 
Do you want to make Christ yours and make you his? Him. His. And so I don't want to ne neglect that I fear that in the context that you might lose track of the requirement of belief. So let's jump down now. Verse 24, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And again, is it only the saved who are called? No, but on this side of being called, we are communicating that we are invited guests. We are not invited as a guest of someone else. I am not telling you to believe that, that we are following the God of Joseph, the God of Daniel. We are following their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God, but we are not tagging in with them of their coattails. We are rather have our own personal invitation, and therefore we are the invited. And this is the whole point of the verse. Do you see what the next declaration is? Whether you're Jew or Greek, that's the issue. You have a personal invitation. You belong. You are not crashing in. Even if you're Greek-speaking, you have a right to be at the table because God invited you. But that doesn't mean that because he invited you that you're automatically at the table because you have to believe. You have to put your trust in him. Do you see the qualification there? And what Paul's trying to deal with is the Jewish community, both Christian and non-Christian, are saying those Gentiles have to keep the law. And you know that Paul was all about, that's not true. They have their own invite. They don't have to use your card. They have their own card to bring to the door. Jesus Christ. His righteousness, not the righteousness of the law. This is all that was written and, and rehearsed again and again in Paul's writing. In Hebrews and James, I mean, we can go through it. We find that it's, you can't do it by the law. Because now it's Christ. You can't do it by your own deeds. It's by the work of Christ. And so, on this side, we are the invited guests. You can't call us party crashers. We belong. Because God sent me a personal invitation. And I joyfully, with all my heart, accepted it as my own. I believe Let's go on. Now that we have that perspective that we really explained last week, we go on. Verse 26 in the New King James says, For you see your calling, and that has a little lean to it that really isn't there. I prefer the NIV, when you were called, brethren, is how they have that um, translated. Uh, it's that whole idea of let's go back to your invitation. He wants to go and revisit the invitation. He says, did you earn the invitation or was it a matter of God's grace? Let's go back and, and remember the, the, your first invitation. Let's go back to it. He says, brother, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. And then it, the New King James adds the word are called. But we know that that's not really true. Is it? How many are called? Oh. You see, they've added two words to help try to clarify the meaning of the, ver of the verse, but they have actually confused the verse by the adding of those two words. 
They have modeled it to benefit a doctrine that I don't hold to. He's not referring to that God didn't call many wise and he didn't call many, he only called foolish people. No. Go back to your calling. All of them. Question is, who believed? Those who are wise in their own eyes, do they accept the invitation? No. They think they got it all worked out. They don't need a Savior. They don't need a Lord. They're going to be just like the people who rejected the invitation to Israel who didn't count it as anything of value. Not many wise in this world accept the invitation. Jesus also reminds us that not many rich accept the invitation. Why? They don't have any needs. They don't think they need anything. They've been deluded by their wealth to thinking that they have acquired what is necessary. And they have emptiness there that they were honestly acknowledging. And they really kind of do in their own lifestyle-ish ways. But what he's saying here is that not the powerful, not the noble, not the wise responded. Believe. Go back to your calling. When you were called, what kind of things did you have to put out of your heart and out of your mind to receive that message? Your pride. Because pride is that which prevents us from receiving the benefits of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the biggest challenges of confronting people with the gospel historically has always been their own pride. Because you have to humble yourself before God and accept his free gift, his invitation. And if you don't count the invitation of any value, how are you going to treat it? Uh, file 13. Oh, I got this invitation. Uh, send a card. Can't send a card. Okay. We get invitations from people back. This stuff. Well, we can't really go. Why to send this? Over to send cards, money, and gifts, or something. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason they invite us, or make us not feel bad that we didn't get invited. Uh, but you can't send a card. You're gonna have to accept the invite and go all in. You have to believe. That means you have to humble yourself and recognize the wonder of God's invitation. I don't deserve this. I am honored and blessed by this. And the world doesn't think that. The world thinks they deserve, deserve, deserve. I deserve this. I have, and boy, we know all about that. We have our rights, don't we? And uh, our whole generation now thinks they deserve everything. That's one of the attributes of the millennial generation. We deserve everything for nothing. And we deserve a college education. You don't deserve that. You don't really deserve a high school education, frankly. And you don't deserve these things. These are things that you are privileged to receive and that should come at a cost to you instead of a cost to everybody else. And so when we look at the, this attitude, we have to humble ourselves. And so not many wise in the world, not many mighty, not many noble, Accept the invitation. Am 
God doesn't call the wise. He doesn't call the mighty. He doesn't call the nobles. He calls all men everywhere. So those italicized words there are error. God sent out the invitation list with everyone's name on it, like Jesus. And very few of the wise and very few of the mighty and very few of the noble, all those who think in this world they have something going for them, and they don't accept them at the invitation. They despise it. Who goes, wow! <laughs> the people who recognize I don't deserve this. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I know it. I got nothing going for me. I'm the poor. I'm the needy. I, I'm in trouble. And there, you want, you want me to come? Yes, I want you to come, but you got to change your clothes. And I'm providing the new set of clothing for you. So here, take these new garments. Change your change your outfit, and come to the party. The wise despise all that of this world. Of the flesh. The mighty of the flesh despise that. The noble of the flesh. How? They despise it. Because they won't humble themselves. And it's their pride that keeps them from receiving. So let's go on. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And that fundamentally is the concept that Paul wants to communicate, and it goes back to his early chapters of Romans, where he says, listen, you people, none of you deserve the kingdom of God. You are all sinners. We are all facing death. We all deserve the wages of sin and death. We, no matter how righteous you think you are, um, that actually is a filthy rag. He is a barrier to heaven for you, not an aid to get to heaven. God has chosen that you must debase yourself to accept his invitation. Because if you're high and mighty in your own mind, then you'll never accept it. You'll never value the invitation of God to heaven. You'll certainly never say, I shouldn't have to change my clothes. That's pride. And if you don't think homeless people have pride, try that on something. American homeless people. Overseas, I've never had that problem. I went to Haiti several times. I went to Cuba. Um, I had no problems giving them my clothes. None. I always brought back empty suitcases um, so I could refill them, anticipating another trip. And it didn't matter that my clothes were dirty, because the clothes I wore that week while I was there, three weeks that I was there. And they were dirty. It didn't matter to them. They, they were all clothes that I had a hard time fitting. Whenever I get clothes that are too small for me, because I'm dirty, I'm still good. Um, that I take those clothes and I'm sucking in the whole time, walking around a little stiff, and then I think, I said, I'm leaving these here because they're all a lot thinner than me. 
than I thought I was, and because they haven't grown yet, and uh, they'll grow anyway. I've never heard them complain. And I wear slacks and dress shirts, and I leave them there. Uh, I mean, I need every stick of clothing in Except for our way home. <laughs> I saw something going on. I don't think he came home. Well, no, I, I did wear clothes home. Um, but they were poor. They were needy. And they received the gift, thankfully. Rather, they were willing to wash those clothes, take them in their youth condition, and when I went back to Haiti for the second trip, I went into church, and three of the men are wearing three of my shirts. Church, that's their Sunday clothes. And you realize that's what Paul's talking about. To receive the offer of Christ that says you have to totally transform your life. What's wrong with my life? Everything. Everything is wrong. And until you're willing to acknowledge that, you'll never fully receive the, the bounty of God's wondrous new wardrobe, which is the spirit within you, the, the righteousness of Christ enveloping you, the, 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 the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us, our gifts. Um, but uh, you'll never embrace the church as your true family. You'll always still be connected to the fleshly family as somehow of higher importance than, than this family. Um, you'll always have that until you recognize the wonder of what Christ has offered. That's why when he talks about what has God chosen, he's not talking about who he chose. He's talking about in general categories <coughs> Why is he going out? And why is the invitation so readily received? Because they are already in a humbled state and they recognize their need. And those are the people that we go to. Do we ignore everyone else? No. But we realize that when I go to Americans and offer them used clothing, I'll most often get snubbed at. They'll look at it. Oh, let me see if it's good enough for me. When I go to them with a gospel message, they do the same thing with it. Well, let me see if it's good enough for me. Uh, I don't know. I'll take it or leave it. I don't know if I really need this part of it. Can I rip off the sleeves? They want to modify the message of the gospel to fit their felt needs, which are almost none, frankly. The number one need that Americans communicate, uh, I don't have any survey for this, I'm just telling you from my own experience, is I want to be entertained. I don't have to go to church. It's not fun anymore. Not entertained there. We never conceive of the fact that there are times in our life where we're supposed to be sober and serious-minded. No, it has to be entertaining. And so, if the gospel isn't entertaining enough, I don't need it. Not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty. Some do, so we still take it to them. Isn't that great? But the fact is, is that the reason Christ tells us to go into the poor and the needy, the oppressed, widows, orphans, things like that, because they are 
more readily to receive this message because they know they have a need. He goes on. Verse 29 says that no flesh and glory in his presence. Verse 31 says, as great a few glory, but the glory is in the Lord. Sandwiched between these two declarations, verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. These are the words of salvation. <coughs> and they are built around a work of Christ that we have ourselves received when we humbled ourselves and, and followed after him. And all the glory for that goes to God. You might say, Pastor, you're trying to say that I have to believe, that we have to respond, that, that we are in a privileged state because we did something. I, that doesn't bring any glory to you, because remember, what you have to do to receive that is to humble yourself to recognize you need it. And I don't know how the Calvinists turn the concept of accepting a gift as a work. I don't know about you, but I've gone to a lot of birthday parties and Christmas parties and things. I've never even said, oh, i got to walk over there and accept your gift. i got to reach my hands up. Oh, it's so hard work. I have to, oh, I have to open the wrapper. Oh, I don't want to do it. Never mind. It's too much work. I have to take your check to the bank. That's so much work. No, I just keep it. The council believe that, that would have us believe that our part of response, of humbling ourselves and accepting a gift, is a work, and therefore is not of works, but by grace through faith, and, and that that God has God gets the glory when we humble ourselves before Him. Get on our knees and say, Lord, I need you. And that's what Paul's saying. God gets the glory. Because you can't strut in to the kingdom of God. You have got to recognize that you are wearing rags. And that you are dirty, filthy, smelly, disgusting. I don't know what glory there is in, in saying, well, back when I was 17, I accepted Christ. No, back when I was 10, I recognized I was a dirty, despicable, worst sinner on the planet, and I needed Christ desperately. And there is no glory in that. Glory for me. There is all glory for God. That he had a change of clothes waiting for me, that I was invited into his kingdom by him. He put my name on there. As disgusting as I looked, smelled, and sounded, he had my name on an invitation. And he changed me. He transformed me. I knew it myself. All the glory goes to him. I am redeemed. I am saved by the power of Jesus Christ. We are in him. He is our wisdom. He is our strength. He is our righteousness. He is our everything. And that's why this is my thing above and beyond any others. And so my brethren, and we call that honestly, my brethren in India and Haiti, I long for them. I, I, I feel their needs. I want to help them. I want to extend myself to them. They are my family. I pray for them. 
I think of them. I follow them on Facebook. <laughs> They're precious. Do they have the family's life? We are called together. They've humbled themselves as, as I once humbled myself and must continue to humble myself. And once we get this, we come into Romans chapter 8. And this is the coup d'etat in Calvinistic use of the word called is this passage. I've used it last. Because you don't start with the hard to define the easy. Remember that last week? We start with the easy, and Christ made it really easy as a parent. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. All right, now here's how to explain many are called, few are chosen, and he talks about the invitations and that there are all these responses, and there's like one right response, and that response gets you a place at the table of God. All right? Easy, right? That's what kaleo means. So now, having studied it in Corinthians and how it's connected to the idea of what you believe, that there's a humility required of it. Now let's go, and there's also an element that we're dealing with Jews and Greeks, we're dealing with Israel and the Gentiles. <laughs> let's go to Romans 8 and find out what it really is talking about. And again, I will not do it justice in 10, 15 minutes. We're going to revisit this and finish it up hopefully next week as we go into the idea of chosen as well. So let's look at it here. Verse 28 of Romans 8 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things of God as for us who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Okay. They go through that and say, all right. It starts off with God has to foreknow you. Then he predestines you. Then he calls you. Then he justifies you, then you're glorified. And they say, this is the order of salutis, which uh, is just Latin, for the order of salvation. This is how salvation happens. This is the order. God foreknows you. He makes a determination, which isn't what they use. That's not the word. It doesn't say predetermined. And then he calls you, and then you get saved. And so that's salvation's complete cycle. And it's all God. And this... This is their presentation. This is the order salutis. This is the order of salvation. This is how it happens, and you don't have any part of it. And so, God foreknew. Well, what did God foreknow? It says, for whom he foreknew. And again, are we talking about individuals, or are we talking about bodies of people? Are we talking about groups of people? Whom he foreknew. Well, we're going back into the verses that God says, he's going to work all things together for you who love him and are called according to purpose. 
you were called. Now, what does called mean? When we're on this side of salvation, what does it mean to be the called? I have been invited to the party and I've accepted the invitation by humbling myself and allowing Christ to change my clothes. I have put on Christ. I am the called. Is it exclusive? It is exclusive by the measure of call. Now, what does he use in that prior verse? In the, in, in the printings we saw, the response, you who believe. What is the responsive word in this verse? It's not believe. Tell me out, class, what's the word? No. What's the responsive word to you who love God? Who are the call? See it? I'm in verse 28. That was you guys. <laughs> Do you love God? Is another response word that here there comes this, and I respond to the invitation. Thank you, Lord, and I love you for this, and I, and I am I love you. I'm going to serve you all my days. That's a response word. And now you're on this side, the call. I'm invited guest. My name. I'm invited by name. And so God is going to work all things together for my good. One of the benefits of having responded to his universal invitation by belief, love, acceptance, whatever you want to turn you off, put in there. None of those are works. They're simply humbling ourselves before his work. We give him the glory for that. And it makes us the call. Now he's going to go into that, and he says, okay, let's, let's examine that process a little more fully in verse 29. It says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined, not predetermined, predestinedly conformed to the image of his son. Let's stop right there. So we talk about foreknowledge. What did Christ know? He knew that he would invite it is impossible to send out invitations without some knowledge. Correct? Have you ever just tried to sit down and write out invitations and you say, oh, there's got to be somebody out there named. Try it sometime. I'm going to try to invite people I don't know. Go ahead. Invite people you don't know. Name them. You can't. Not for us. Now, there are some translation issues here that make it exclusivist that he only invited those who were new, but who does God foreknow? Did God foreknow everyone? Yes! Did he foreknow Abraham? Did he foreknow Israel? Yes! <coughs> so he did foreknow. And he made a predestination of the people he foreknew. So he knew you were going to pop up one day. You know, and, and he knows the little ones, okay? You got the little ones here too. You got three little ones that have, we haven't met face to face yet, uh, but they're listening to my voice right now, which is really helps me in the nursery if you guys come to church preaching and you're pregnant because they know my voice. They're wondering why it doesn't sound quite so mechanical as the sound speakers make it, but uh, they know my voice. Because uh, I've been hearing it every Sunday for the whole gestation, too. God foreknows them. And now he has predestined something. Now, I have very carefully tried to communicate to you 
that there's a difference between predestination and predetermination. They are not interchangeable words or concepts. Predestination says, here is your destiny, here's your destination, here's the end I have in store. Predetermination says, here's what's going to happen each step of the way. I have predetermined this, 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 this. And too many people insert for predestination, predetermination, and it gets you into deep trouble because at that point you might as well take your hands off the wheel and, and give it to Jesus because uh, whatever happens, peace and rosser God has predetermined everything and we should just go into fatalism. Essentially, it's Christian fatalism. Well, that's God's will. It is not God's will that any should perish. It is not. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Take no joy in it. He did not determine it. But he has set out a destiny, an end place. He wants those who he knew to have this destiny, that in Christ Jesus he wanted this, he wanted it to end a certain way. This is the destiny he wants, that you be conformed to the image of his son, says. He wants everyone in family to be like there with Jesus Christ. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you all to be like Jesus. All of you. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to be conformed to the image of the Son. Right now, when you're in the flesh, whose image are you conformed to? Your dad's. So, I don't care if you're male or female, you're conformed to the image of your dad. You're in his image. What image am I talking about? Sin. That's the image you are carrying from birth, is sin. It's what I transfer to my poor biological children. It is what they are trans... It's what you. Husbands are transferring to your children, uh, your fathers. Uh, that's, that's, what, that, that's the greatest gift you gave your kid. Your sin. God says, I want you to be... Here's the, I have a different destiny for you. Because that destiny you inherited from dad is death. I, have, I want you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, who had no sin and never sinned, and who is in the express image of the Father. This is a declaration that says, everyone I foreknow, I want them to, in the end, be done with their sin. I want them all to be back to the image bearing of sinlessness. And that's what I look forward to. Right now, I am saved from the power of sin. I am saved from the penalty of sin. But there is one facet of sin, and that's wrapped up in the word glorified, that he's going to use later on, and that is the presence. It's still kind of hanging around. It's a corpse. It has no power, really, as influence, but not power over us. Um, and you talked about that a little bit this morning in Sunday school. Um, and it's not the fast lane, it's the passing lane. Three or five minutes just broke my So we have this destiny that God wants us to be free from sin. 
his power, his penalty, and his presence. That's what God wants. That's the destiny. That's the end, the destination that he wants. For everyone he foreknows. Now, let's keep pressing on. For whom he predestined, these he also called. What's called? Invitation. How many did he want conformed to the image of his son? Everyone he knew. Who does God know? Now, here's what your Calvinists do to foreknowledge, by the way. They insert forelove. That's what they do. They manipulate. They said this foreknowledge is kind of like how a man knows his wife. It's an intimate uh, uh, commitment. It's love. And they replace foreknowledge with foreloving, that God only foreloved some, and those he determined to save, and those that he determined to save, those are the only ones he called, and the ones he called are the only ones he saved. Yeah, that's what they do. Read it. I can give you books, so I'm not making it up. That's what they do to foreknow. Foreknowledge becomes foreloving, foreloving, and instead of just foreknowing. Does God foreknow us all? Yes. Does God want everyone conformed to the image of his son? Yes. So what does he do? He invites you. He puts your name on it. And these, he is ready to justify. What does that mean? It means he has made provision for everyone It does not here anticipate that everyone called must therefore be justified, but God is prepared to justify everyone he's called because he has loved the world. I don't think I need to rehearse those verses for you too much. He has foreknown all men. He has, he has predestined that they be like his son, to accomplish that, he sent his son to die for him. He put your personal invitation on there. And I invite you to go into chapter 9 and you'll see how it's about Israel and the church. That you get, you don't have to be the guest of Israel. You can go in on your own name on the invitation. And so you are called. You are invited. And these, it says, these he also justified, and when he justified these, he also glorified. And the way this is stated gives us an idea that there's an exclusivity that the called and only the called are justified, and I would say the called and only the called can be justified. There's provision for it, there's opportunity for it, but what Paul is not rehearsing here is the other perspective. He is not giving us the full order salutis. What he's giving us is the divine aspect. And I would contend with you that intermingled with it, there is a human element on the other side. And you want to know where he shares that? Romans chapter 10. Why don't Calvinists ever want to give us Romans chapter 10 in the order of Salutis? Let's go there. Go to Romans chapter 10. Oh, what do we read here? Um, uh, let's pick up 
up in verse 8 of Romans 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes in the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Oh, there's that concept again. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without the Lord electing them? Doesn't say that, does it? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now, take Romans chapter 8. Overlay with Romans chapter 10 describing salvation and do this. And you will get the true order salutis. God, man, God, man, God, man, God, man. God initiates you respond. God initiates you respond. God initiates you respond. God initiates you respond. And it's just two chapters apart. So no, there is no irresistible calling of God. Do you see how much you see any of God in these verses in chapter 10? <laughs> Where's God? You got the scripture. You believe. Uh, you believe with your heart uh, unto righteousness. You confess with your mouth. It goes on and says you have to hear it with your ears. Someone's got to preach it to you. That's a human element. Someone has to send the preacher to him, another human element. All Paul has done is said, here's God's part. Here's man's part. And he's just, in the development of his argument, he separated them by a couple of chapters. When you overlay them, they work perfectly. More importantly, they agree with all the rest of the scriptures. We'll use the simple, many are called, the few are chosen. The invite goes out. There are lots of negative responses. There's even a positive response that won't do it for you. There's only one right response. With the heart you must believe, with the mouth you must confess. That's the response. You can insert it right between called and justified. That's the human aspect. The divine aspect is there in Romans 8. The human aspect is right there, uh, kind of in reverse order, actually, uh, in chapter 10. Because you have the preacher being sent at the end. But he's, he's working in reverse. And this is perfect Hebrew symmetry. A, B, C, B, E, F, F, E, B, C, B, A. Perfect. Lord, we're invited. And that doesn't bring any glory to you. All I brought to the table of rags and the image of my father. My own rags and the image of my father. God had a different destination for me if I would simply accept his offer. 
that he would make me say it. He would justify me as if I had never sinned. And bring me into the image of his son who had no sin. And change my clothing from the rags of self-righteousness to the royal apparel of a wedding garment, white, of Christ's righteousness. Now can we begin to appreciate Jude saying, You are calm. For this is what is wrapped up in the idea. You are invited. But you have to accept the invitation. You have to believe. You have to confess. You have to clothe yourself in his righteousness. It has to, you have to accept it. You will not enforce it upon you. If you're waiting for some irresistible action of God, well, this is about as irresistible as it gets. Come to Christ today. There. You got another invitation? Our preacher sent to you to give you this wonderful good news. Will you believe it with your heart and confess it with your mouth? You will not be put to shame. But if you try to enter the feast on your own merits and your own filthy rag clothing, you'll be cast in out of darkness and you'll say, I'll never move. That's the simple, plain truth of it from Matthew to Matthew. Scripture is a wonderful thing, and it's very balanced, but it can also be very abused. And we are in an age where it is more often abused than balanced. So we're going to take some time. I know it's a few weeks away, but I really don't want to just run away from this and let you think that on Sunday night we're going to be taking some time to let you converse with me about some of the things we're going to be studying in Jude. Because like I said, we're going to be springboarding into some very difficult territory and some things that are going to shatter some of your ideas of of heaven and hell, of demons and and scripture and delve into the things like the book of Enoch and things like that. I want to have some interaction with you on this. And and this doctrine is so necessary and so important. I, I, I want to just Remind you, we have lost families from this church because they thought they could influence me away from this into Calvinism. And it will never happen. Not because I'm a stubborn, unreal coot, but because this is the Bible. And it says what it says. And the Bible warns us in Jude, many will come perverted, leading many astray. And we want to be of those who know the truth and are grounded in. I want to. I know that many of you have engaged and have friends and, and acquaintances, some of close friends that, that hold the Calvinistic uh, model. And so I know that you're engaging them, and I want to be a resource for you to help you with their arguments. So we're gonna. We have Brother Hingle, and we have. Uh, Visiting, so we're talking three, four weeks away, but we're going to be taking our Sunday nights to really rehash this. I still have one more message on this topic. And so you're going to hold on to it for a couple of weeks and have a conversation about it. It's that critical. We are invited to Christ. Do you value the invitation enough to humble yourself 
strip off your reds and put on your garments. And conform yourself to the image of your son. That's the ultimate goal for us. The ultimate goal for you is that you be like Jesus. Wow. That's his plan. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. And I thank you for the whole of your spirit this morning in this message. Your unction. Lord, I pray you might continue to lead us in the truth. Lord, we've seen some precious people walk away from this church because of this teaching. They could not tolerate it, could not swallow it. I don't understand. Your word is true, balanced. And it is only our own arrogant self-confidence that perverts it. Your wise in this flesh. We think we can use our own logic instead of your spirit to guide us in the truth. Lord, guard us from such error. Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.